Again, to all of you willing to brave the beautiful, cold January weather. Anybody who was, woke up and it was in the negatives for this morning? Yeah. On my way home from Pittsburgh at about 11 o'clock last night, I clocked a negative 9 on 80 coming across there. So that's nice and warm. And I love it. This is way better than like 80 degrees in the summer. I don't know. Those of you that disagree, uh, but uh, we're going to be continuing in our series, the reawakening uh, series of our 40 days of prayer. I hope uh, you've engaged in a season of prayer through these 40 days, and, I, and we're going to continue in that. This morning, as you can see, our theme is reawakening to the Church of Christ. Uh, and no, we don't mean the denomination, uh, Church of Christ, but uh, to the church which belongs to Christ. Uh, question as we start out this morning, I know all of your uh, mental energy is f- in full gear already this morning, but what is the church? How would you define the church? If somebody would ask you, what is the church? Any ideas? Okay. So when you say, I'm going to church, you're saying, I'm going to the body of Christ. Even if you're the only one there. Okay, I think we have to acknowledge, I think for me, uh, I'm, I'm in total agreement when somebody asks me, what is the church? Most of the time I'm going to say it's the body of Christ. It's, it's the body of believers, people who believe in Jesus. However, I don't use that. Uh, I don't live that out. Because I'll say, Jackie asked me, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to the church. So it's not the right language. If I'm honest, we use different meanings for the word the church. Uh, this week I, I, I did some, was doing some research and looking up definitions of uh, the church, and I found probably the best one on dictionary.com, and uh, it says it has four different definitions for the word we use as the church. Uh, the first one is a building for public Christian worship. Uh, I think we can all acknowledge we have used the word the church to mean this building, the, this physical location. We say, I'm going to church. Uh, where, where, where is uh, that event happening? Oh, at the church. It doesn't mean it's happening in the group of people. It means it's happening at a physical location. If we're honest, we use it that way. The second one, uh, public worship of God or a religious service in such a building. So uh, how many of you have ever had church in the park? Okay, you've had church in the park. We're referring to church as a service or as an event that happens. So we use it that way as well. Uh, The third definition was the whole body of Christian believers or Christendom. So that's what most of us would say because it's a good Sunday school answer. What is the church? Oh, it's the body of believers. Uh, We say that. We might say the early church. Uh, We don't mean the building when in its infancy. (laughs) We don't mean an event in in its infancy. We mean the group of believers shortly after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. Um, that's the early church. Uh, it was all believers. Or we might say uh, Big C Church, if you've never heard that Christianese. Uh, that's what we're referring to. Big C Church is the whole body of believers across all the world, across all denominations, those who believe in Christ as Savior. And the last one being any division of this body professing the same creed and acknowledging the same ecclesiastical authority Uh, a Christian denomination. So we might say the Alliance Church people. What do we mean by that? 
uh, well, if you don't know, we're part of a denomination called the Alliance. And so saying Alliance Church people means all Alliance Church people across our denomination. So we might use it that way to, to mean more specifically, it's still a group of believers, but a specific group that's tied um, through a uh, denomination or organization known as, such as the Alliance. So which definitions do you think are accurate? I would hope you're able to see, ah, oh, they're all accurate. They're all, we use them in our English language in many different ways. Now, you go into different cultures and you look at different languages, they wouldn't use church in such a way. They would use it in different ways, but that's the way we use it. We use it in multiple ways. Uh, I hope you're able to see that it does uh, work for each of those. So what we're talking about this morning um, is the church of Christ. We are more specifically referring to that third definition, that one that is uh, the body of believers, the universal body of believers. Anybody who believes in Jesus is part of the church. Um, But we're also referring to a local church, a local group of believers. So we as Dubois Alliance uh, consist of a group of people who would identify as part of this family. Um, Does it make you part of Dubois Alliance Church just because you show up on a Sunday? Not necessarily. Does it make you part of Dubois Alliance Church because you have your membership here? Also not necessarily. Uh, We are a family, and to be a part of a family uh, requires some certain things. The first time we're introduced to this idea of church is actually from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So this is kind of the first idea we get of church, what church means. Uh, we have to recognize this was a new concept. It wasn't like when Jesus said this to Peter, he went, oh, okay, you're putting me in charge of that thing. I got it. He had no reference for what Jesus was talking about here. We look back on this and we know what he was talking about because we know church. But Peter had absolutely no reference. So I don't know what went through Peter's mind, but it's very clear in what Jesus was doing that it was a new thing. Jesus didn't want to just take what they were doing in the temple and do the exact same thing, but now with Christians. As we see the early church develop and evolve, we realize that is they're not doing what the temple did just in a Christian way. That's not what church was. And I I think it's interesting, if you've never really thought about it, we never really get a clear description of what Jesus was talking about. Now I have to imagine he had conversations with Peter and said, hey, this thing that I'm, you know, I'm saying is going to be largely based on you and you're going to be a huge part of, this is what it should look like. Um, I would imagine maybe that conversation happens, but we never see that. We never see Jesus lay out, this is exactly what the church should be. What we see is after the Gospels, we watch how the 
apostles and the early church people deal with this idea becoming a thing and as they try to mold it and shape it and deal with problems and deal with heresies and deal with all these different things we see the church kind of evolving but he had absolutely no idea what this meant for jesus to say to peter hey i'm going to build this thing called the church on you now again church kind of means an assembly of people uh, or a public assembly and so there's an obvious idea that people would gather, and that is, uh, I, I would imagine, maybe what Peter thought when he heard this. But it's, in, you, it's important to notice, to take note of, Jesus was doing a new thing. He was creating something totally new, and he was telling Peter he was going to be a significant part of it. So, are you a part of this thing we call the church? Are you a part of uh, the just universal church, do you fit into, the, like which description do you fit into? Just the big C church and say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not a part of any local family. I'm just a part of that universal family. Uh, I had a friend who used to introduce himself as an author all the time. When people ask him what he did, he would always say, oh, well, I do this, and uh, I'm an author. Problem was, he had never written a book. Uh, had the conversation with a couple times. He didn't seem to understand that you actually have to write a book to be an author. Uh, and he would defend it with, he's had been writing a book for about 10 years uh, and still wasn't done with his book, but he was an author. Uh, and I would argue that he wasn't actually an author. He was an aspiring author. He was an aspiring author. He wanted to be an author. So you kind of have to be published to be an author, buddy. Uh, but he felt very strongly he was an author. Maybe... Some of us aren't actually part of the church. Maybe like my friend who was a little confused, we are aspiring parts of the church. Uh, and I, I want to, using the language big C church, meaning the universal church, and small C church maybe for, say, Dubois Alliance family or whatever family you would call. If someone said, hey, what church do you belong to? Uh, whatever you would identify that as. Um, what does it mean to be a part of that or to be an aspiring part of that? I think to properly evaluate if we're an aspiring part of a church or if we're actually a part of the church, we need to have an understanding of who or what the church is. Um, I think some of us, if we sit down and were to define what it means to be a part of, a, uh, of the church family, a lot of us are going to come up with some different answers. Or if somebody would ask you, why does the church exist? What would you say to that? Why does the church exist? I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that idea. Why, why does the church exist? There are some people who believe the church shouldn't, that its time has passed and it's done, it's gone. I think that's false. Uh, Jesus was very clear he was doing something, and Jesus usually doesn't give up very easily. Uh, I think the church still has a very valid role in what God is doing. And so why? What is its purpose? Why does it exist? Today we're going to look at why the church exists and what this means for us. As we look at reawakening to the church of Christ, it's kind of hard to reawaken to something that you have no idea why it even exists. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. One purpose of the church, if you're not familiar, is to reflect the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are to be a mirror of 
heaven here on earth. That is one of the purposes and why we exist is to reflect the kingdom of God. It's why we should deal with things inside the church differently than the world does. We should do things differently than the world does because we don't reflect the world, we reflect the kingdom of God. Many countries, if you don't know this, will establish embassies in a country they wish to develop some type of relationship with. If you're not familiar with the whole embassy structure, you don't necessarily need to be. Just know that they basically have a building or a complex in a country um, and in that country, that embassy is considered part of the origin country. So if we had an embassy in Australia, when you were standing in our embassy grounds, it would technically be United States soil. That's how it works, um, if you're not familiar with that. The church is God's embassy to the world. 2 Corinthians five eighteen to 20 says, in all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So, just as an embassy's purpose uh, is to enter a country and represent that country, it's, it isn't to interpret or integrate the culture of the country they're located in to their own. That's not their goal. Uh, the goal is, of an embassy isn't you enter this country and you learn how to integrate their culture into your own. But it's to represent the country of their origin. They're to put up flags from their home country. They're to, they, they still dress the way that they would dress from their country. They, they are there representing their country. The goal isn't, okay, well, um, just using that uh, illustration from earlier, if we're going to set up an embassy in Australia, the goal isn't to go to Australia and everybody still learn, learns how to dress like the Australians dress, learn how to do all the things like they do. But that's, that's why you have your embassy, because that's where you are. And, and, and that is technically uh, part of the country and it's extension of the country your origin country or the country you you represent it's soil of that uh, country it's not the purpose of the church to integrate and reflect the culture of this world in a christian way just like it's not the job of an embassy group of people at the embassy to represent the culture of the country they're in it's our purpose as the church to bring heaven to earth. Just like it would be our responsibility to bring the United States to Australia, it's our job as the church to bring heaven to earth because that's our origin. Uh, we don't belong here anymore. Once we're a believer, this no longer is our home. Our home is where? Heaven. And so as ambassadors... The church can be seen as an embassy where we represent not this world, not our old life, not anything other than heaven because that's where we're from. That's where we belong. That's our home country. And so as we're here, we're, we're sent as ambassadors to represent the country of our origin. One primary way we do this is described in John thirteen thirty five. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When they enter this space, that world, you know, this physical space, the physical definition of the church, uh, 
when they interact with the body of believers, the, the representation of the church of people, wherever, wherever we are located, it should be our love for one another that makes it very clear. You follow that Jesus guy, don't you? Because you act differently. You love differently. You forgive differently, man. I heard about what that person did and, and the, the, the fact you're able to forgive them. And they, they did it how many times? And you're still able to forgive them? There's something different about you. You must follow that Jesus guy. Especially when they ask us, why would you do that? We say, because Jesus loved me. That I have to love. I have to forgive. The amount that Jesus forgave me, if you're reading the Bible in a year, you just read Jesus talking about how uh, the, the parable of the guy who was forgiven millions of dollars, it says, and then he turns around and starts yelling at the guy that owes him a couple uh, hundred or a couple thousand dollars and um, how wicked that is considered. Why? Because he was forgiven so much. He should have had forgiveness for everybody in his life. All, all debtors that owed him should have been given because he owed way more than anybody could have possibly owed him. We have been forgiven much. We have been loved much. And so we as a group, a family of believers, should be able to love each other far beyond what is reasonable, far beyond what is rational. Because it's that love which communicates we're different. We belong to somebody else. I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody who was born, raised in Australia. They don't sound like me. They use weird words. They act differently than we do. It doesn't take long for you to realize when someone's from a different country, if they were born there, if they were raised there. Now, if they've been out of that country for a long time and they've been away from its influence, it might be more difficult. But if they're coming right out of that country, if they spend all their time, a lot of time with people from that country, then they're still going to talk like that. They're still going to act like that. They're still going to use that language, that terminology. Uh, It's going to be very clear. They're from somewhere else. And we, when we interact with this world, should become very clear that we're from somewhere else. If you were to move to a foreign country and you were to purchase a house, does that make you an embassy to that country? No, it does not. Just because you bought property in another country, it's still considered that country's property Uh, the ground that it exists on, uh, you're simply somebody living in that country. You're only an embassy when you're there in an official capacity to represent the country of your origin. And I think maybe using this analogy, some of the problem is that we've simply purchased some ground in this world and we think, oh, well, I'm just going to live among them. If I moved to... Italy, I say I've been there, so I know how different it is. Uh, If I were to buy a house in Italy uh, and move there, uh, it would be reasonable for me to start learning the culture of Italy, to start doing the things the way that Italians do them, to speak the way. It would make a lot of sense for me to learn their language. Um, There are certain cultural faux pas. When we went to West Africa as a group, some of you, we learned uh, there's certain things you don't do. You don't touch things with your left hand. Uh, You act in a certain way. Why? Because we're trying to integrate with that culture. That's totally different than if you were an embassy, that you, you are constantly there to represent the country of your origin. When So the question this morning, when you go to your workplace, do you represent heaven or you integrate to their culture. You try to do things their way. 
You try to fit in. You try to fly under the radar. Like the person, say, you, the person from Italy. Uh, if they were to come here today and they were born and raised in Italy and they were to show up here this morning, you wouldn't take you long to figure out who the person from Italy was. Maybe, maybe the way they, they dressed, the way they looked, but certainly once they started talking, you would recognize, oh, that person definitely wasn't born in Dubois. They're from Italy. They sound different. So the people at work, when you're there, do you seek to just integrate? Now, uh, I know people who have moved here from other countries and they work really, really hard at losing their accent because they want to fit in. They want, they want to learn. I had a Korean roommate in college and he asked me one time, he says, teach me American. I was like, oh, Gene, like that's not a language. Some people think it is here in our country, but it's actually not. We speak English. He's like, no, no, no. I know English. I want to learn American. What he meant was he wanted to learn how to talk like we do, to use the terminologies we use. Because we, if you don't know, we speak really poor English. <laughs> uh, he wanted to learn to speak like we do because when he spoke English, he sounded really strange because he used proper English, which if you didn't know, that's an actual thing. There's like proper English that people, some people in the world speak. Uh, we don't. And uh, he wanted to learn to speak like the people around him, the people at our college and, and his friends. Uh, we spoke what he called American. He wanted to fit in. How often do we enter this world and instead of saying, I'm an ambassador for a place that you don't know, for a place that you don't recognize, and I should, I should look really weird to you all because I'm not from this place. Instead, we do our best to integrate into the culture. We talk the way they do. We act the way they do. We dress the way they do. And in some respects, that's not necessarily bad. Like if you were to be in a country in an embassy, it doesn't mean when you left your embassy that you would act all arrogant because you were you know, not from that country. There's some things you would do to integrate, but there are other things that would compromise you as a representative of that country. When you interact with your neighbors, do you represent heaven as an ambassador or do you seek to integrate into their culture? Do you use their language? Do you, I don't know, curse and swear, if that's what they do, I don't know. You talk like they do, inappropriate conversations maybe. What does that look like for you? Whether it's your neighbors, your workplace, wherever you go, do you go as an ambassador or do you go as somebody trying to fit in? Somebody trying, that's trying not to look strange or weird. See, that's the thing about ambassadors who live in these embassies. They don't get to go into the country that, uh, that they, their embassy is located and take a day off. They don't get to leave the embassy and say, well, it's Sunday, it's my day off from being an ambassador. I'm going to go out and not represent the country that I'm from. The second they leave their embassy, guess what? Everything they do represents their country. If they speak poorly to somebody, it reflects poorly on the country they come, come from. If they act in a certain way, it reflects back on the country. Why? Because they can't stop being an ambassador. It doesn't happen that way. The only way they can stop being an ambassador is how? Well, dying is one way. Sorry, there are two ways. <laughs> Some of you are morbidly creative. Dark people, dark people. Woo, wow, Okay. Other than dying, how can you stop being an ambassador? Go home. Go back to the, which is the same as dying, uh, if we're using the church analogy. You go home. You go back to the country where you reside from. Guess what? You're not an ambassador anymore. 
You're just a citizen in that country. But as soon as you leave and you go in that official capacity to that other country, everything you do, everything you say, every action you take represents the country you're from. And if you didn't know, if you know Jesus, you have been sent in an official, in an official capacity as an ambassador. You don't get to say, well, you know what? Today I'm not going to represent Christ. I just want, some, I want a day off from that. I'm going to do whatever I want. Everything you do. If you don't know this, people at your work, your neighbors, people who don't know Jesus, everything you do represents heaven on earth. I don't know if you've ever had the unfortunate instance where someone said, I thought you were a Christian because of the way you were acting, because of maybe you were being unloving or maybe you were using language that wasn't appropriate or you were doing something that wasn't reflecting the country you come from. I've had it. I've done it. I've had someone, I thought you were a Christian. Oh, man, I'm a, I'm a bad representative. See, we might say, well, that person's not an ambassador. They don't represent that country very well. Just because you're not doing it well doesn't make you not an ambassador. Just because you're not representing the host country well doesn't mean you're not that. It just means you're really poor at it and you're not doing a very good job. You're not reflecting that country well. Everything that we do, everywhere we go, we represent our host country. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 to 16 says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As ambassadors, the embassy serves many functions. Uh, as ambassadors, it's very clear in the scripture what we're to be like. It says instead, uh, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We are to more closely represent the country of our origin every single day. That's our goal, is that we become better and better representations of our host country. And as ambassadors, the embassy serves, this embassy itself serves many functions. You can imagine, however, how much of a problem there would be if the ambassadors had, a different, had different expectations for the functions of the embassy uh, than those who were in charge of the embassy. If, if the, that was a disconnect as to what it was supposed to be there for, and the ambassadors went under a false understanding of why their um, uh, uh, embassy was, was there in that country, that's going to create some problems. I believe the same disconnect is found in the church today. We have an improper understanding of what this embassy exists for, what its purpose is. Uh, and I think this is because of the way the church has presented itself and allowed itself to function and because of incorrect assumptions about the functions of the church uh, from those who attend church. As we discuss uh, how we function as ambassadors of Christ, I'd like to evaluate our understanding of church to see where some of this miscommunication can come from. Uh, the things that we expect uh, the embassy or church to function as and some of the roles and things that it should do and what it's actually not supposed to do but we expect it to. So, is your understanding of church a religious organization where you consume or a family of believers you contribute to? Now, before you answer, because I, I would probably argue that the easy answer is, is pretty easy to see, 
how do you back this up? Not intellectually, which of these do you agree with, but lived out, what does this look like for you? Is Dubois Alliance a religious organization where you consume, where you come, and you expect to consume religious goods and services, or do you view Dubois Alliance as a family of believers that you contribute to? Because intellectually it might seem like, oh yeah, sure, it's a family of believers that we contribute to. We're, you know, we're one of the same body, and we contribute to, to each other. But do we actually live that out? Questions that might help you clarify this in your own mind. Is church more about what you get or consume? Or is church more about what you can contribute? Is that your focus of church? When you think about the Dubois Alliance family, do you think about, man, how can I contribute? How can I give? How can I be a part of what is happening there? How can I love those? Because the Bible says that uh, they'll know that we're his by the love we have for each other. And so how, how can I do that this week? How can I do that today? Who do I know that's, that's struggling, that's hurting, that I can uh, maybe call or, or just show up or take a meal to? How can I love those? How can I contribute? What if, what if we all decided that we're going to be contributors to this family? What would it look like for us to all be contributors? What if in some, just one of the ways, what if we all decided to tithe and to contribute to the work that's happening here? You know I don't talk about tithing a whole lot, and, and we're going to talk about it in our next series a little bit. Um, but we don't all tithe. That's just fact of the matter. We don't. I don't know everybody's finances. I don't see that. I just know we don't all tithe. But what if we did? What if we all contributed? What, what work, what more could uh, Dubois Alliance do for our community that we don't have access to because we don't all give? We don't all contribute. It's more about what we get. Now most churches are this way, especially in Western culture. Church is more about what we get, what we consume from church, well, the religious goods and services, because, hey, uh, we pay somebody to do something there, so obviously it should be more about consuming. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get ahead of myself. I don't follow my notes here. That's why I make notes. Second, is your understanding of the church a group of professionals who perform religious services for those in attendance or a collection of professionals and non-professionals who exist to equip and release all the saints to perform their unique personal callings. This one might be a little harder to answer. Some of you might really believe the first one is true. Some of you might think the second one is true. But let me propose something to you. You might all find it a little odd if you were to see Jackie and I out in public and you heard me say, oh, I'm really hungry. And I then proceeded to crawl onto Jackie's lap and she gave me a bottle. Uh, I know we're weird, but we're not that weird. Uh, that would seem a little odd to some of you, I would hope. And as ridiculous as that sounds, I have stood and listened to people who have known Christ for at least as long as I've been alive and criticize the church because they don't feel like they're getting fed. Oh, I'm just not getting fed from that church. Oh, I go there on a Sunday and I, and I don't get fed. It's one of the criticisms I used to use, uh, and I still hear a lot from uh, megachurches, especially. People, now we're not, nowhere near a megachurch. But I've heard that. Oh, you go there and you don't, even, you don't get fed. 
Now I can understand this viewpoint from a new believer, somebody who's new to Christ and doesn't know how to feed themselves. But if you've been saved four or five years or so, just like if you have a four or five-year-old child, you should know how to feed yourself by now. It is not the responsibility of the church to feed you the majority of your spiritual food. It's not the responsibility of the church to feed you the majority of your spiritual food. If you want fed, follow Jesus' example, which after his time with the woman at the well and the disciples come back and they're really confused because they offer, they ask Jesus if he wants some food and he says, no, I'm good. And then he proceeds to say in John chapter 4, verse 32 to 34, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. That's how Jesus was fed. He didn't need somebody to chew up scripture to him and explain it to him very simply. He knew how to be fed. So think about it this way, because I've heard this, I've argued with people regarding this concept of church. And they say, well, Jesus asks Peter to feed a sheep. Now, I don't, anybody here a shepherd? No, nobody's a shepherd. Uh, so we don't have any personal instances, but uh, as a shepherd is to feed his sheep, does that mean the shepherd takes his sheep to where the food is and teaches them how to eat and teaches them what the good food is and helps them uh, have nourishment? Or does he take the grass and jam it down their throat? Uh, now, I know none of, you, none of us are shepherds, but I think we can all guess which one is true. He leads them to places where the food is. They actually feed themselves. The shepherd doesn't do the actual ramming of the food down the throat or even cutting it up and preparing it to the sheep. He simply takes them to the places where they're to be fed. So my argument would be, let me back up here, my notes, because I didn't copy this. My argument would be this second one is the purpose of the church, a collection of professionals and non-professionals who exist not to feed people, but to equip and release the saints, which you are all saints, the Bible says. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. To equip all the saints to perform their unique personal callings. That's how you get fed, is by living out your unique personal calling. Jesus had a unique personal calling on his life. And he says, my food, how I get fed, is to do that, is to fulfill my unique personal calling. That's how I'm fed. I don't know if you've ever viewed it this way or understood, but my argument would be the church's responsibility is not. And we've existed for too long in, in that model where we said, don't you worry about it. You come here, we'll feed you. Because why? Because it makes me feel really good about myself. Because I get to hear how good my sermons are and I get to feel really important because I'm imparting something that you desperately need all the time. But it's not proper and it's not right. The goal of a pastor, a shepherd, should be to equip the sheep, prepare them for when how they can eat. Teach them, this is what good food is and you don't want to eat over here. And if you don't know, shepherds, one of the things they have to do with their sheep is even after they're fed, they have to sometimes force the sheep to lay down 
so that they can digest the food. And, and they walk them through this process on a regular basis. What are they doing? They're equipping the sheep to be fed properly, to know how to eat, how to digest the food they are getting. They're helping them live out their, pur- their purpose and their calling. And so what if we viewed church that way? Like I said, I, I think the, the, the miscommunication, the, the, the uh, I'm trying to think of another word other than onus because it's, uh, but the responsibility of the church doesn't, or the miscommunication doesn't rest just on the people or the church. It's a, it's a mixture of both. And now my argument would be it rests a little bit more on the church because we've allowed it to exist that way. Pastors allow themselves to pridefully feel like they're the primary source of food. And yeah, it does feel good and, and it makes you feel really important. But we fail. My personal calling, if you, any of you that were here when, when I did my candidating Sunday, I told you, Whatever your view of pastor was, that I wasn't going to be that, that if you wanted to think of a term, it would be coach. Because that's how God has gifted me. That's my unique personal calling is it looks more like being a coach. Because I want to equip, I want to empower people to live out their personal calling. Because I know if you live out your personal calling, oh man, you'll have food that, no, that people know nothing about. Those of you that are living out your personal calling, it feels amazing. And you feel so close to God when you're living out your personal calling and when, and when you're achieving and you're doing the things that God has called you to do. It feels amazing. It feels so good. Just like Jesus was saying. And I got food you don't know anything about. Because why? None of them were living out their personal calling yet. But they would. After Jesus empowered them with the Holy Spirit and he ascended to heaven, they began to live out their personal calling and they began to understand what it meant to be fed, not by somebody giving them something, but by them living out their calling, just as Jesus says here. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Is God's work finished on this earth? So we got a lot more work to do. we got a lot of work to finish. And as you engage in that, I've talked with some of you, and, and, and as you uh, engage with people from work, and as you, ha- is, is there anything better than having an awesome spiritual conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet? Do you not walk away from that feeling like, man, I'm good. I feel amazing. I don't need any more spiritual food this minute because I am full to bursting. It feels amazing because you're living out your personal calling. Well, that, that's more of your general calling because we're all called to make disciples. It is the responsibility of the church to equip and release you for ministry in your unique personal calling. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You, and I'm speaking to each and every single person here and anybody, anybody watching, personally, you are a masterpiece of the greatest artists to ever exist, of God himself. And you are meant for good things. You have a unique personal calling on your life. It's how you live out, and we're gonna get a lot more into this in our next series, but it's how you live out the general calling to go and make disciples of all the nations. 1 Corinthians twelve seven says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You're each a part of the body of Christ. Each of you. And you've each been given a spiritual gift. Why? So that you can uh, impress other people? No, it's so we can help each other. That's what the, the spiritual gifts are. And we're all part of this body. 
each and every single one of us. Like I said, we're going to talk a lot about this in our next series. It's actually what our next series is primarily about. It's about stewarding that, those things well in our lives and how to steward what God has given us. Next, is your understanding of the church. The primary place to use your giftedness or the launch pad for your, gifted, for your giftedness to your community. The issue some have with the church, reason why some people will uh, be attending a church for a season and then they'll leave, is because the church doesn't have a place for them to serve. Now, some people will leave because they're not getting, they're not getting what they want to consume, which is unfortunate because that's not what the church exists for. But rightfully so, sometimes uh, people will leave a church because there's just no place for them to serve, which is fine because it's not the only place to serve. The church isn't designed to equip and release people for volunteer work inside the church. Notice I didn't word it that way because that's definitely not why the church exists, to equip and release people to volunteer inside the church. Definitely. That is not the ultimate sum of the giftedness you have. I would argue the church isn't even the primary place that you should be serving as a volunteer. Your community is your primary place of service. That, I would argue, is your primary place to use your giftedness, is in the community around you, the people around you, the people at your workplace, the people in, in your actual physical community, the people you have connections to. That's where you can use your giftedness, to love them, to serve them. And if you have time, serve in your local church as well. If we all engaged in that way, and we wouldn't have to fight for volunteers here. We would, we, we, that would be unnecessary. As we each deployed our giftedness, not for our own benefit, but to serve one another, to serve the community, to serve those around us, that's when we begin to come alive. We talked about this a, a little bit before in, in a different way, but as you're, lastly here, is your understanding of the Sunday morning gathering where you come to be poured into through scripture, teaching, music, or where you come to pour into others through stories, celebration, and encouragement. See, Sunday morning, it can be very easy to come in and say, I'm here to be poured into. Feed me. Give me. I want. I want to consume. That's why I'm here. My argument would be, this is why the church wars over certain things were so huge because they came and they didn't get what they wanted to consume. If I told you, if I invited you over to my house and I said, we're going to have, I'm going to put a prime rib on the smoker. We're going to have some mashed potatoes. How many of you would want to attend that event? Okay, now if you showed up and I had refried beans and that's it, how many of you would be a little disappointed? I know I would be because uh, those are gross. Uh, because you showed up and your expectation was one thing and you didn't get what you wanted. You didn't get what you were told you were going to receive. And, like I said, I think the responsibility lies largely on the church because we've said, we're here to give you what you want. We're here, like Burger King, to give it, give it to you your way. Have it your way. And that's not why the church should have existed. It was never to give people what they wanted. So the, because they showed up and they didn't get what they wanted, people got angry. But that's not why church should exist to become, to be poured into. Now, there may be seasons 
where you're just in a place where you're pouring out or you're, you're in a season of, of, of difficulty and you come and you want to be surrounded by the believers and rightfully so, you should want to be here to be poured into. But if you've existed perpetually in a place of, I come here to be poured into, we, you, we missed something. Because we should come here to pour into others. If we came in with a mindset of, you know, I've had some awesome victories this week. I've had some amazing moments with God. And I just, I want to come and I want to celebrate that with my family. I want to come and tell others about this awesome God and what he's done in my life. And we, when we share, and, and one of the, my favorite places in this church on a Sunday morning is out in the foyer listening to people laugh and talk and, and interact with one another and tell stories about what God has done and, and to hear those things happening. Man, that's, that's awesome. I love that because that's us pouring into each other. Uh, Jesus said that what will flow from you? Rivers of living water will flow from you as a believer. And so when we gather together, man, we just stop doing this to the people around us? And say, man, I've got rivers of living water. What do you need this morning? Let me pour that out on you. As we walk in here and, and, and when we have a mindset of who needs it? Who, who needs a touch from the king? Who, who needs some love? Who needs some encouragement? As we look around and, and, and we, we listen to the Holy Spirit, guide us to someone and we encourage them. We speak a word of encouragement over them or, or we give them a word from God or something. Any, all of these things are possible on a Sunday morning. But what's not possible is that we come in, we sit in a pew and we go, I'm ready. I'm dry. I haven't done anything all week. I haven't met with Jesus. I haven't opened my Bible. I haven't worshipped. I haven't engaged with other Christians. This is it. This is my one meal a week, Pastor. Give it to me. That should never be our posture. Like I said, there might be seasons where that's where you're at, and that's okay. Because it's okay not to be okay. But if we perpetually live in that place, man, we have totally missed something for too long the church has perpetuated this idea that it existed to hire professionals who would feed people when jesus said feed my sheep he didn't mean go and do all the work for a group of people and you chew up scripture you spit it into their mouths and that's going to be this new beautiful thing i'm creating anyone else here get excited when they hear about what god is doing in someone else's life when you hear this awesome story yeah it's amazing Anybody else here ministered to when someone encourages us, gives us like a genuine word of encouragement? Some of you are phenomenal at encouragement. Deploy that here on Sunday mornings. Come in ready and, and with a goal of, I'm gonna encourage somebody this morning. I believe that someone needs encouragement this morning. It's a gift, it's a spiritual gift that God has given me. I'm gonna use it this morning. When every believer is equipped and released to live out their unique callings. And Sunday morning becomes so much less about being fed and more about feeding one another as we gather to celebrate what God is doing in each of our contexts. Because if we're each being fed all week, man, we come in full. We come in with leftovers. Anybody need any leftovers? Man, I, I got it. I, I, I got more than, than I need because I've been doing the will of my Father all week, and I am full who needs it. Because in a family, at any given time, there are going to be people who need that. They're not having a great week. They didn't fulfill their calling. Man, they're in, they're in a valley, and they need fed. I can't do it all. Man, I, I might be, if we could whittle this church down to about 10 people, then maybe I can do that. I can feed everybody on a Sunday. I can be about that. It's about the size of a, of a good small group. But man, we're beyond that size. I can't do all the feeding, but we can... One, we can feed one another 
when we're in those seasons. We can come in with leftovers from a week of living out our callings with God and and being full to overflowing. That's why the church exists. The church of Christ is so much more than a place where paid professionals bottle up the word of God for those who are believers or chew up the meat of God and spit it into the mouths of believers who just don't want to do the work of chewing on it themselves. It exists to bring heaven to earth, to bring light to the darkness, to set the captives of sin free. That's why we exist, church. And to equip and release all of God's saints into full-time ministry. Do I mean into full-time ministry in the way that we understand it? Probably not. Because we think of full-time ministry as a missionary overseas or a pastor or, or one of those things. Every single one of us is called to full-time ministry, meaning we live out the will of God every moment of every day. That's full-time ministry. To empower every person to accomplish the purposes of God because when each of us is engaged in the mission, we all grow. Again, Ephesians 4.16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Unfortunately, my wife and kids right now are experiencing what happens when the whole body isn't working properly. How are you making the church sick? How are you not functioning in the way that you were designed to function? Because I promise you, if one part of your body, like if your pointer finger stopped working, You'd notice that. Anybody else, you ever have a stuffy nose, like just one nostril gets stuffy? And you just, you, you dream back to when you can actually breathe properly and you, you long for those days again? Yeah, it doesn't take much for you to notice when your body is not working properly. Some of you have some of that stuff in your body right now and you feel it every moment of every day. So how do we allow ourselves to be that part of the church which is not existing in its purpose, in not living out its calling and doing what it was designed to do. I hope we can all be full parts of the body. Let's be an expression of the church of Christ, which is healthy and growing and full of love, and not love just for ourselves, but for our community as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this beautiful body you've created here at Dubois Alliance. Lord, I thank you for the love. That is always something that has blown me away about this church, God, the love they have for each other, how well they love each other. Lord, I thank you for all the gifts that you have given to this church, all of the unique personal callings that represent the family here at Dubois Alliance Church. And Lord, I pray that we would remove this old model of what we think church to be and we would replace it with what you've called it to be, this equipping and releasing of all the saints, God, that we would each take responsibility for our unique personal calling and we would begin to live that out and we would experience what it really means to be fed, to have a food that some people have no idea, they know nothing about. God, I pray you would show us what that looks like as a church. 
how we can equip one another, how we can bless each other, how we can help to, to work with each other to be a body that is fully functioning and in all of its capacity, like an Olympic athlete, would we be that type of body that functions at, at optimal levels for your kingdom? Lord, would you continue to guide and direct us as we seek your will in our lives? Would you help us reawaken to the church of Christ? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a good week. Live out your mission.